0: Hi everyone, this is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help family members and friends. It's Friday, March 30th, it's a little after 9 a.m. Central Time, and we're live out of Chicago. On the last Friday of every month, we have a special podcast called Crucial Caregiving Conversations. I should mention that our podcast is part of the ever-growing caregiving podcast network and I'm delighted to bring on our guest today that joins us on the last Friday every month. Warren A Bear is a family caregiver, a home health nurse, a nursing professor, and executive director of the Home Care Association of Louisiana. Good morning, Warren. Thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Good morning, Denise. It's a delight. And uh for for those uh in, in in our Christian circles, uh, Good Friday. I don't know if you say Happy Good Friday, but it certainly uh, was an important day in, uh, for folks in, in that
0: particular area. Absolutely, absolutely. So today as part of our Crucial Caregiving Conversations podcast, we're going to talk about what's a caregiving-friendly community. What does it look like? What does it need? And I think really what's the purpose? So let's start from the end and think about what is it that a caregiving-friendly community does or has that helps a caregiving situation and a caregiving experience. So what's our end result? What do you think, Warren?
1: Well, certainly, uh, you know, the area that I did my my doctoral work in related to family caregiving was looking at health professionals. And for the most part, health professionals – uh, in, in two sectors of healthcare, are very engaged and connected to family caregivers. One is obviously pediatrics, because those parents have to be involved uh, on behalf of their children. And the other area is the other end of life, uh, and that's hospice care. So the professionals there are very engaged uh, and involved. But other than that, healthcare providers really could be a lot better. Um, the research shows that not only do we ignore family caregivers, professionals, but in many cases we feel the family caregiver gets in the way. So if we're talking about caregiving-friendly communities, part of that conversation has to be the health professional. The the nurse, the discharge planner who might be a social worker, uh, for that matter, the physicians, need to recognize the important role that family caregivers play. So I would say that that's... Um, You know, from my perspective, one of the very important aspects of a caregiving-friendly community is is that of the health professional.
0: Yeah, absolutely, critical, critical piece of it. I guess when I think of a caregiving-friendly community, I think wherever a family caregiver, with or without his or her caree goes, there is support and understanding, maybe a little different type of service, And there is an easier way. So I think about going to the grocery store. So what if there was a caregiving line at the grocery store? If you're in a caregiving experience, you have a caregiving situation, you go through a special checkout line that's a little faster. I think about driving, and I don't mean when my dad is driving. I mean when I'm driving because of a caregiving crisis. What if there was a way for me to Signal on my car, I am on the way because something terrible has happened. So there's something that I put on my car, a light or a bumper sticker or a sign or something that designates I'm in a hurry because there's a crisis. I think it would, I I mean, obviously, those probably are impossible things to put into place. But if we're going to think about it, let's think in a big way. How do we make our experience easier? Yeah, easier in our communities in a way that our situation is acknowledged, the yeah. the unusual uh, and I, unique needs of our situation, and then there's solutions in place for them.
1: So so immediately when you brought this up, you know, I thought about the hairdresser
0: um, oh, or the barber, yes.
1: you know, because yes. uh, you know, we, we all know that oftentimes the hairdresser is not only somebody who's doing your hair. Uh, but is also a, uh, a therapist or counselor of sorts. Um, the the other thought, uh, and I love this train of thought, Denise. Thank you. Is is air travel? Uh, I can tell oh, you, yeah. you. You know, you know me well enough to know I'm an off the charts extrovert. So I just meet anybody and everybody in the airport. It's like so many people to meet so little time. But anyway, uh, the the conversations that I have with people that are traveling, I can tell you that 30 percent of the time it seems. That they're traveling for caregiving, mm-hmm. and you know there is there is a family member across the country that needs, or a family member a few states away, or perhaps traveling to a funeral. Um, so I, I like this this thought, and and whatever we can do to advance the caregiving conversation, uh, and have folks recognized certainly is a, a step in the right direction. Uh,
0: so. Okay, there's a couple parts of it. So when I go get my hair cut, if I go on a Thursday, it is carees with either their family caregiver or their paid caregiver. But I think about how the hair salon is organized. It's easy to get in. You park, you walk in. But yet the way you sit to get your hair washed isn't necessarily comfortable when you get older. So thinking about what are the ways that we could put in place an easier way to get your hair done as you grow older, and an easier experience for a family caregiver to bring their caree to get their hair done. And then when it's impossible to get out of the house, to bring a little bit of the hair salon into the house so that the caree can still get her hair done. And wow about the travel industry. I wonder if there there was a way for us to figure out how much money family caregivers pump (laughs) into the travel industry because of caregiving, I think that would change how airlines delivered service to family caregivers. So you get a perk if you travel a lot, but what if you got a perk if you're a family caregiver?
1: You know, Denise, I really think that's a a great conversation because we know that no matter how Strong our passion is for a particular uh, area of need Almost always it's driven by some aspect of the economy Um, And if we didn't talk about it last month I'll mention uh, Joseph Coughlin's book The Longevity Economy Uh, Joseph Coughlin heads up the MIT Age Lab And the book that he wrote is just In my opinion a must read for anybody Who's involved in family caregiving The Longevity Economy by Joseph Coughlin. So back to the conversation around airlines. Uh, for that matter, there are a number of other different areas that we could go as well. You know, how, how do we find a way to, to study that economic impact? Uh, the Rand Corporation back in the fall of 2014 looked at the financial implications not only related to the dollars spent on care, but also the impact on the workplace an impact on employers and the caregivers who were reducing hours or not working, uh, losing benefits, etc. They estimated the cost, uh, and this was back in 2014, it was released, the cost to be $510 billion, the economic impact. So yeah, when we're back to talking about airlines, it certainly would be interesting to find a way to explore that. And uh, I wonder if anybody does uh, any sort of surveys regularly related to why people are traveling.
0: Ah. Yeah, that would be so interesting. I know that when I travel, I always fly on Southwest because it's easy to make a change. So when I go, I know there could be something that happens that means I have to come back immediately. And Southwest is the forgiving airline. It's easy to make a change. So my business and my business choice is impacted by my caregiving experience. Who I do business with is impacted by who is friendly to my caregiving experience. And yet I don't think that there's a lot of companies that are typically targeting themselves or positioning themselves as a company that is easy to work with because they understand a caregiving experience. And, wow, what could that do to their bottom line if they did that?
1: So, so it brings me to a conversation around the village-to-village village movement. Uh, some folks who follow caregiving are familiar with the Dell Webb communities, and they started, I believe, with Sun City in Arizona, and, and now there are the villages uh, in Florida. And there are lots of essentially humongous subdivisions where people who are aging – Purchase a home, benefit from lots of different things like golf, etc. The village-to-village village concept is different. It was started in Boston. Uh, my uh, uh, recollection of the story is graduate uh, professors who were retiring from MIT, Harvard, Boston College, other places recognized they had gotten their kids educated, and now these children who would normally be taking care of parents from past generations. We're now all over the country and other parts of the world. So the village-to-village movement, people connect with one another, um, and you can tell I'm I'm a little uh, ADD. This takes us back to the conversation about Southwest Airlines. And and the village-to-village movement, they actually vet people who might be doing yard work, home repairs, people who are doing housekeeping, uh, et cetera, so that they know which of these businesses is going to be more friendly to them as an aging community. And the fact that they bring a bulk of business uh, because, because they're working together to support one another leads us back to, to the airlines and other businesses that could be very user friendly to the family caregiver. I, I travel a number of different airlines, whichever is, is the least expensive way for me to go, but it's pretty obvious that if Southwest is that forgiving related to making changes, family caregiving experiences are unpredictable. So if you're going to be scheduling something today, you know, your plan is to head home a week from now, but something happens and and you got to have a two week stay instead of a one week stay. Uh, That is really an interesting conversation and something I'd love for us to explore not only related to airlines, but related to to other businesses as well.
0: Yeah, I think that would be terrific if we created this list. It's an organic, ever-changing list of businesses that we've had good experiences with that we would recommend to other family caregivers. And it could be based on different industries.
1: Yeah, and you know the the, uh, demographics, the numbers, uh, and depending on which resource you look to, The numbers are different, but the the conservative number that I've seen is over 45 million of us around the country are caregivers. Um, So to me, that's a pretty significant chunk of business uh, that the folks with airlines and others might be paying attention to.
0: So I'm going to just take us on a little bit of a tangent. Something that happens during caregiving is that you spend time inside, you're inside the hospital, you're inside your house, you're inside your carrie's house. Unlike when you are raising a family, you're not outside with the kids. So it's not easy for someone else to see that you are a parent with young kids. You, you could be out with your Carrie pushing him or her in the wheelchair and people might think, oh, she takes care of her mom, but it's not that kind of a visible experience. So something that I tried to dart about a year and a half ago that didn't get very far is the thought that, well, what if we tied a ribbon out in front of our house that designated us as family caregivers? An orange ribbon for a current caregiving situation, a green one for a former family caregiver. And that way we're aware of who's doing what in our community. I had that thought for a couple of reasons. I lived with my parents for many years, and I didn't realize that someone across the street from us was caring for a parent until after the Mm. parent died. Wow. And it was my neighbor who told me, who cares for her sister. And I actually help her on Friday nights. She goes to play bingo, and I stay with her 95-year-old sister. If we know who's in a caregiving situation in our community, we are tapped into a potential resource, like who do you use for home care? Who's your doctor? All those resources that can be so helpful. The other thing that has tragically happened in our community recently is we've had two young, um, a, two young children die. One was seven or eight, and the other one was twelve. And in a in a, in a way for the community to show support for the grieving family they put ribbons all around the town. So when the young girl died, they put purple ribbons all throughout the town. And when the young man died, they put red ribbons. And if you drove anywhere, you drove through this row of ribbons and you felt the Whoa. court. And that's why I think, what if there's something that we can put out in front of our houses that designates what we're doing so that when we drive in other areas and we see those rows of ribbons, we feel the support too. So two thoughts come to mind for me. There, um,
1: for uh, uh, we have uh, a daughter who has Down syndrome who's 27, and one of the the documentaries that I saw this dad who had a son with Down syndrome said, people across the world. If you're human, you have some capacity for compassion. And mm. he pointed out that it seemed to him that people with Down syndrome drew that out of people better than, than others that he was familiar with. So your ribbons essentially allows people to tap into uh, the capacity uh, for compassion. The second thought is I was on an airplane a couple months back with an executive from Marriott Corporation, and he had just been to a a great conference, and he wanted to share the most important session that he attended. And the session was entitled something along the lines of uh, "Engaging Idle Assets." He used Uber, uh, Lyft, Airbnb as examples of assets that, prior to <gasps> the technology yeah. that connected them, um, the pe- people were not aware that you know somebody's sitting on their couch and their their their, their cars parked in the driveway. Yeah, an idle asset. Um, You know, somebody has a cabin, or 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 a camp, or 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 a houseboat, or an apartment that's that's essentially vacant except when they're using it. All of a sudden, it's an idle asset, and Airbnb ties in. So, so just thinking uh, creatively. You know, I wonder how we find a way from a family
0: caregiving perspective
1: to identify and engage idle
0: assets. Oh. Wow. Well, you know what comes to mind? Durable medical equipment. After a caregiving yep. experience ends, you have wheelchairs, walkers, canes, other yep. type of equipment that you are thinking, where do I where do I what do I do with this? So something that I've tried to do over a period of probably about 8 years is figure out a way for family caregivers to swap that kind of equipment, and swap it effectively. So hopefully this year at the conference in November we'll have an opportunity for someone who's, for instance, driving to the conference to bring some equipment that they no longer need, give it to a family caregiver that needs it, so that there's a a natural way to swap.
1: Great idea. Uh, Back when I first started doing home health nursing in 1985, um, there was an organization that was active and it was a couple of elderly women. They had to be in their seventies or eighties at the time. And they were part of a, a, a group nationwide called the King's Daughters. And these women uh, lived in a very rural area. But, you know, when I went to make a home health visit to one of the sisters uh, that they, they had this, this whole large vacant garage area that had all sorts of medical equipment and supplies that people uh, didn't need anymore. And they knew these women would help to get them to a good home. So they drop them off there. So, you know, I think that, you know, today we're so driven in healthcare by um, the economics um, and and dare I say by profit that oftentimes we've got idle assets that, that we could find a way to plug in. A good conversation, and uh, you know, perhaps an important thing for you and I to to put in our parking lot to have some conversation about in the future.
0: Yeah, I love that phrase, idle asset.
1: Wow. So uh, I've talked to other people who are familiar with that term, and and they said that often it's it's um, uh, a term that is used talking about waste and and the fact ah. that you know, some. Some resources are wasted. Sometimes people who are idle, you know, they they consider that to be waste within an organization. Um, But his conversation and mine and the speaker that he listened to used it in a more generous term, talking about how we might better engage um, idle assets. And I I just really think that that concept is something that fits in a lot of different places. But when you think about family caregiving, I, I love your idea about the ribbons, Uh, Because isolation, as we know, is one of the the real big challenges that we've got to find a way to solve for family caregivers. Uh, Having a daughter with Down syndrome, um, it, it is very easy for me to identify who's part of our family, so to speak, uh, my daughter, Brooke, sees someone else with Down syndrome, and she points to them. She says, Dad, look, one of my cousins, and, uh, you know, I, uh, whenever I'm in the airport or we're traveling from one place to another and stop at a gas station or a restaurant, it, you know, if we see a family who's got a child with Down syndrome, it's it's just a real easy thing yeah. to go and say hi because we know that we, we've had a similar experience. But you don't recognize that in the average typical family caregiver. So I like that idea of of the ribbons, um, you know, may, maybe even you know some way that we do what what you've done at the conferences, Denise, which is to have orange and green ribbons for people who are current caregivers or past caregivers. Uh, how do we get people to self-identify so that we'll know who we can connect with in a way that enriches the caregiving experience? But more importantly, it relieves people of that feeling of isolation.
0: And I just want to mention that April 20th, we're wearing green to be seen. So we do this every year. It's in April, and we take out something green and we wear it as a a way to honor and recognize ourselves as caring for a family member. We do have a special t shirt that you can buy, by the way. (laughs) And on the back of the t shirt, it says, I'm a family caregiver, what's your superpower? So April 20th is the day that we, yeah, isn't that cool? We did a a, a contest for the slogan that appeared on our T-shirt in 2015. And Yolanda, who cared for her grandmother, submitted that slogan. So she won. And so we've kept it. And the green T-shirts are really, really cool because on the front there is like a little superhero insignia. And then on the back it says, what's, I'm a family caregiver, what's your superpower? So you can buy one so of one those of our, t- T-shirts. Oh, go ahead.
1: That's, that sounds great. Count, count me in for a T-shirt. Um, one of our mutual friends is Chris McClelland, and I had Chris, uh, some people know him as the bowtie guy. He was on the radio program that I host uh, called Family Caregiving. It's on Radio Maria on Wednesdays from 4 to 5 Central, 5 to 6 uh, Eastern time. But I, I had Chris on, and uh, he talked about his cape. And uh, and I love the fact that you're talking about superpowers because uh, he talked about his caregiving cape. And, uh, you know, that is a, a rich image for me because many of us who are family caregivers feel like we've got superpowers. And uh, it's uh, uh, an intriguing vision. So I like the green T-shirt. Uh, I'm a caregiver. What's your superpower?
0: Yeah. So there's ways for us to wear items like clothing or ribbons or put things on our house that us de- as family caregivers, even thinking about if you have a pet, you can buy a little decal that you put in your window so that the fire department knows that there's a dog or a cat that lives in the house. There are ways that we designate the home as having something special inside for other types of situations, but not for a caregiving situation. I like that. Okay, so we have just about six minutes left. And I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about our houses of worship as part of our communities and think about ways that they could be caregiving friendly. So we're both Catholic, so we know that about eight years ago, the Catholic Church changed the prayers that we say in Mass. And I still cannot... Say those new prayers. It is embedded in me to say it the way that I learned it. And it always struck me as such a strange thing to do in a church where its parishioners are aging. So if you've mm-hmm. gone to church for 80 years, you're diagnosed mm-hmm. with dementia, you go back to church at Christmas with your family, it's going mm-hmm. to be difficult for you to say the new prayers. It just seems so odd to me that a church that is really focused on getting people back in the pews, so to speak, would do something that makes you feel like an outsider because you don't know the new prayers.
1: I think it was a conspiracy. Uh, (laughs) uh, Denise, you
0: know me well enough to know that
1: I I use humor uh, in those areas where uh, I would would normally, uh, you know, perhaps go in a less generous direction. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, but I agree
1: with you, and and back to you know back to the bigger conversation around our houses of worship. You know I mention on my radio program every week that if you've been seeing somebody every week for a decade and all of a sudden they're not there, you know find a way to check in because they may very well yes. not only maybe yes. have had an illness, but they might have become a family caregiver, and all of a sudden yes. isolation. Uh, you and I both uh, know Deb Kelsey Davis and Deb's good work in the Chicago area. Uh, with the diocese there, trying to introduce a program around family caregiving, she's actually going to be uh, here in South Louisiana, and Lafayette area, in the summer, and presenting some aspects of that program to a large uh, conference here. But I, I agree with you. I think that you know, if 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 we are really truthful about being compassionate and and love being the most important part of our worship experience, no matter what congregation you're part of. Uh, having some formalized, intentional way to identify family caregivers and, and connect with them is very important. Uh, I, I like that idea.
0: You know, really what we've been talking about today is a way for the circle to keep the family caregiver and carry inside. So I think about our community as a circle. We're inside the circle. A carry is diagnosed with a disease process, which pushes them outside the circle, either it's because the disease makes it makes it difficult for them to participate or because what they're participating in is no longer appropriate for them. So the carry is now outside the circle of community and then a family member follows. And so they're outside that circle of community as well. But there's no way to either open up the circle to bring them back in or change the circle to to reflect the change that the the carry and family caregiver have experienced. So you're outside this circle. And I think of that with our houses of worship. And it's exactly as you said, you see someone for decades and then you won't no longer do. And yet there's no way to reach out to them to see what's going on and then offer them a different type of support, which is reflective of their current situation. For many of us- I'm
1: Yeah, visuals and graphics really really help to bring a greater understanding and appreciation. So so that visual that you've given of the circle and folks within the circle and people who end up moving out of the circle, uh, you and I both know that the the research around aging indicates that those who are better socialized, who are better connected, not only have enhanced quality of life, but more longevity as well. So I, I really think that this is a a great place to have the conversation is our is our worship communities. And and you know, forgive me for being practical, but our worship communities want to endear themselves to people who are aging who someday will be having a will. And and I don't want to be sensitive ah. but but, but, yes. but, if, but if we need
0: to yes. if
1: we need to find some way to incentivize our worship communities, God forbid that we need to to, to go in that direction. But the reality is anything that we can do to be more compassionate and connect the the people who are aging and their family caregivers, uh, people who have different exceptionalities that require care. I like this conversation, Denise, and deserves deeper exploration.
0: Yeah, it's the bottom line. And that's been the underlying theme today really is the bottom line is that oftentimes really catering to a customer or a parishioner, that's mm-hmm. a family caregiver is good for the bottom line. Mm-hmm. So we have under a minute. Any last thoughts, Warren, that you'd like to leave us with?
1: the The title of the program is is crucial conversations. And um, yep. the fact the fact that we are not often having these crucial conversations is. Resonating with me today because my mom was hospitalized when I was out of town for the week, and one of my brothers called and said, "Hey, does she have a DNR?" And we didn't. So, you know, what I'd like to to close with is the fact that families really need to be having these crucial uh, conversations uh, with with their parents, with their loved ones, for that matter. We need to make some of these decisions ourselves um, because if we're if we're better organized for that, then it will be easier for our Uh, caregiving-friendly communities to uh, uh, connect with us.
0: Okay. Warren, thank you so much. It's always great to connect.
1: I love our conversations. Thanks, Denise, and thanks for your many years of doing good work in this area.
0: Just a reminder to our listeners, Warren joins us on the last Friday of every month to continue our conversations around crucial caregiving discussions. Happy Easter, Warren. Have a good weekend.
1: And to you, Denise. Thanks very much.
0: And thanks, everybody, so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we always love to know. Take care. Bye-bye.